Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna open this like note document that you prepared for me. Um, I trust mm-hmm. that everything in here is nice and clear on the level. I haven't really looked at it all, so. Um, yep, it's it totally yeah. standard. Just same, kept everything yeah. the same as uh, as we always do it. So okay. Um, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start it. It's a whole new world we live in. Pokemon Jojo. Everybody wants to be your master. Everybody wants to show their skills. Everybody wants to get there faster. Make their way to the top of the hill. Each time you try, gonna get just a little bit better. Each step you climb, one more step up the ladder. It's a whole new. That you can be Pokemon Johto It's a whole new world we live in But you still gotta catch them all And be the best that you can be Pokemon Johto Hello and welcome to Glyph Catchers, a Pokemon mystery podcast where we try to figure out what the hell actually happens when you catch all the Unon from Pokemon Silver. Is that how you say it? I always called them unknown because I unknown? thought that was like yeah, I, like yeah. Un- unknown, I mean that's unknown. Yeah, I mean that's like that's like what it is meant to to be. But I just always thought that like the name would be slightly different because I guess it's just like a seal situation if it's unknown. Mm, yeah, you mean you mean Sele? No seal. <laughs> <laughs> right the, yeah the like, pokemon like doesn't like end in an e yeah yeah um or dugong oh um, yeah yeah okay yeah um i thought yeah, maybe so, it was like more of a like goldeen situation you know where you can like very easily see what goldeen is but it's not just goldfish and so i thought I, that the removal of like like the the like shortening here was like changing it into like Unon or something. I that's completely I, that's forgot. How I was right in my head. I had completely forgotten about the Dugong evolutionary line. So thank you for the reminding seal to me of Dugong. That. Yeah, yeah, because mm. it, it was like so, like, like superseded later by the Sfeel to Walrein evolutionary line. Which like is this? Is this real? <laughs> yeah, no, I swear. Like, there's there's Seal, and then later they were like, ah, fuck it. Like, well, this we'll just have another seal Pokemon. It will be called Sfeel. They're just gonna like throw a P in there, uh, and that's the enough fuck? of the difference. Yeah, look it up. It's Celio, Celio, like sea it's, lion. Get it, Celio. Yeah, yeah, Celio. Oh, yeah. oh, I've I've seen Sfeel. I've seen Sfeel. Okay. Is this is a little sphere fella? That's a cute yeah. little. Yeah, he's just he's just a little guy. There are uh, there are this these lines of um like plushes that uh I forget what it what the name of the brand is but like I know Pusheen has worked with them there's been some like more spherical Pusheens um mm-hmm. I like how if you tried to make a, a stuffed animal of this Pokemon Sfeel 
Um, you just have to make one of those style. Like you're not distorting the shape and like making it into like a little fun sphere, you know? No, it's like a perfect like, like, kind of rubber. It is just already a sphere. Yeah, it you can just, just like render it animal. exactly like true to like the game image and have it yeah. be like a functional like plush toy. Yeah, there's there's a few Pokemon that that you can do that with. I think that's probably a design uh, a, a design consideration on their side. Yeah, um, um, Pokemon so yeah. is all about little guys. That's the it is. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of little guys. Um, um, just catching them and becoming friends with them. And hi, everyone. We haven't even introduced ourselves. Um, so I'm your host Neve, and I'm joined by your other co-host Connor. Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, and yeah, this Welcome is Glyphcatchers. Glyphcatchers. Yeah, it is the Pokemon uh, podcast. So yeah, we got to um, catch them all. Um, yes, and then there's some mystery that I, I mean, if if you're familiar with Generation Two Pokemon, of course you know of Unknown. Um, yeah, those cute little guys that are just all over the place. Um, just, and there's just so many different like forms of them, and you just know that there's something that is going to happen when you catch them all, you know. But it's so hard. There's there's a lot you don't know exactly how many there are. You're just kind of like trying to well, it, get some badges of, and stuff. It's it's the alphabet. Well, yeah, but there might be a couple extra thrown in there. It's unknown. Yeah. So I did, I did, I went to the Bulbapedia page for Unknown. Um, I guess I don't know necessarily this is how you're supposed to say it in English. So I will go and check that. But the Japanese is just unknown. It is just unknown. Okay. Yeah. So. Like unknown. Like A-N-N-O. A-N-N-O-N. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you were to, like, write it in, um... Like, A-N-N... Like, like yeah, A-N-O-N. directly transliterated. It would be A-N-N-O with a line over it showing you that it's, like, drawn out, and then N. Oh, two, yeah, the two O. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Beca- it. Because it's the, the characters A-N-N-O, the, like, line that means, like, draw out that syllable, and then N. And yeah, you know, in terms of like the the syllabic natures of so, the language. So, so ultimately, yeah, the final confirmation that it is it, it is it intended to be unknown. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so th- there you go. Um, French. And, and what happens? French. Oh, what's the French? Zarbi. Or or it'd be like Zab or whatever because it's French and you like don't say half the letters. Uh, German incognito. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> the Pokemon's uh, just or, called Incognito. Oh no, Icognito. It's it's Icon and Incognito together. Icognito. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, I like that. Anyway, yeah. So, um, but anyway, um, yeah, we're gonna figure it out. So, yeah, we'll we'll get there eventually. We just got, uh, you know, um, just gotta gotta catch some. Yeah. Um, while we're doing that, I, I have my, I, um, I have my Game Boy Advance over here. I'm just going to be playing it while we talk, but, um, yeah. we should talk about like some 
Have you seen any good movies recently? Yeah, so last night I watched this uh, Japanese movie, Innocence. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Innocence. Um, well, Innocence. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, like, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, yeah, like a katakana version of innocence. the word innocence. <laughs> um, uh, got it. And, yeah, the title is just Innocence, but, um, so, like, there are, the two main characters in it are this guy, Bato, and then his, his, uh, partner, Togusa, and then also someone called, like, the Major shows up in it sometimes. Okay. I got a feeling. Um, I got a feeling. Is Togusa? Is Togusa like just a little guy? Yeah, he's just a little guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just had a feeling. He's just, he's just a little seal. He just goes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, liking the. I'm liking the idea of this movie already. So t- tell me. Tell me a little more. I'm. Um, you, got, you got me hooked. Yeah. Um. If I'm actually, gonna, if you, you want, to just well, give me a little me, synopsis. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, uh, just like, you know, kind of off the top of my dome here. Um, totally not reading from Wikipedia. Uh, so opening in like 2032, there's this group called Public Security Section 9. And okay. the cybernetic, so like uh, the cybernetic operative Bato from Public Security Section 9 is teamed up with Togusa, who's an ancient uh, agent with very <laughs> few cybernetic upgrades. So mm. like Bato cybernetic, Togusa is not very cybernetic. Uh, and I, I guess according to the Wikipedia article, it it does follow the events of Ghost in the Shell, which is something that I've heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the yeah. the movie with um, Scarlett Johansson? I think. It, yeah, um, it is. It, yeah, that's pretty recent. Um, um. Anyway, after a series of deaths due to malfunctioning uh, gynoid, that was a great are, movie, wasn't it? The one yeah. with the Scarlett Johansson movie. Yeah. It was I'm just fantastic. thinking about how good that how good that movie was. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Anyway, after a series of deaths due to malfunctioning gynoids, which are doll-like sex robots, Section Nine is asked to investigate. Um, as the gynoids all malfunctioned without clear cause, the deaths are believed to be premeditated murders. Bato and Togusa are sent to investigate possible terrorist or political motives. Um, additionally, the most recent gynoid remains showed that they all contained an illegal ghost. Um, I don't know what that means, but I will figure it out. That's a, um, that's. A, I wonder, um, are they str- similar to against, unknown? It's strong against psychic type. Oh, that's right. That's right. Thank you. Um, yeah, you can't damage it with physical attacks either. Yeah, unless they're um, like, unless they're like elemental, like you know, like fire punch or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not physical. That's. Oh, is that special? I don't know. That's embar- that would be embarrassing if I made that error on our Pokemon podcast. Uh, then uh, Section 9 uh, concludes that human sentience is being artificially duplicated onto the dolls illegally, making the robots more lifelike and possibly acting as a motive in the murders. Uh, call to a homicide scene in information warfare slash technology specialist Ishikawa explains the victim is Jack Waxon. Uh, consignment officer at gynoid company Locus Solus, who may have been killed by the Yakuza. 
A previous Yakuza boss was recently killed by a Ginoid, so Ishikawa concludes Waxen was held responsible and killed in an act of revenge. Bato and Togusa enter a Yakuza bar to question the current boss, only to be threatened by the bar occupants. Um, Bato opens fire. They say, like, threatened, but it's like a guy, like, kind of pulls out a gun being like, who are you? And Bato just immediately (laughs) opens fire on the entire bar. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Killing and wounding numerous gang members, including the cyborg that murdered Waxen, that has like a crab, a crab blade thing um, for an arm. Nice. Um, the current like boss Kingler. then admits his like predecessor. The yeah, the yeah. the current boss then admits his predecessor was somehow involved in Locus Solus, uh, but insists he doesn't know how. I would actually say a little bit more like like Pincer because he's kind of like human shaped still okay or no what's the what's the what's the one that's like scyther but with like pincers sizor sizor yeah (laughs) it's like sizor yeah 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 god such Um, an embarrassing flaw on my part on our pokemon podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like you don't Um, even know that you have to like trade a scyther with steel coat (laughs) to to evolve it into sizor what the hell that's Um, that's like in pokemon silver like what are you doing yeah. Um, okay. So, all right. So you've kind of like given me, you're explained it like pretty well so far. I feel like I've got a good sense of what's going on, and like, if if I'm right, the the rest of the movie would probably go a little bit like this. So, like entering a store on his way home, Bato is then seemingly warned by the major and shot in the arm by an unseen assailant. Uh, caught in a firefight, Bato nearly kills the store owner in confusion, but is subdued when Ishikawa appears. While having his damaged arm replaced, Bato is informed by Ishikawa that his e-brain was hacked. Uh, I'll just say cyberbrain, although I did have a couple like different subtitle tracks on my uh, on my MP4 that I switched, and some of them use cyberbrain, some say e-brain, so. Um, I didn't take the time to go into like the Japanese and wait, I thought you didn't watch this movie. I was going to correct you because you said that he was caught in a firefight, but actually he was just hallucinating um, and just shooting himself. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, well it, it's very similar to a movie that I've seen like once before. So, um, that's, that's where I'm getting in this from. Well, Um, in my movie, it was cyber brain. Not okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we'll just say Cyberbrain. Um, so his Cyberbrain was hacked, causing him to shoot himself and attack the store occupants. Hence the, like, you know, the hallucinated firefight. Mm-hmm. Ishikawa explains that Bato was hacked in order to cause further scandal following his Yakuza assault in an attempt to stop the Section 9 investigation. Bato and Togusa then head for the mansion of Kim, a soldier-turned-hacker with an obs- who has an obsession with dolls. Seemingly dead, Kim soon reveals that he quote unquote lives um I think he I think he lives um inside the shell of a human sized marionette and discusses philosophy with his visitors. Um Yeah. I mean I guess it's quote unquote lives because as the first ghost in the shell taught us, um again the one with Scarlett Johansson, um <laughs> how how do we define life and how do we define death? Yeah, right. Yeah. What and, are these things? Yes, and and perhaps this movie will continue to uh, 
question and deepen that theme. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe did it. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, Kim uh, then admits ties to Locus Solis, um, divulging that the company has secret headquarters in international waters, uh, which conveniently is like right outside his oceanfront mansion. Um, seemingly. Uh, yeah. Warned again by the Major, Bato realizes that Kim has secretly hacked into his and Togus' cyberbrains and is currently trapping them in a false reality. Resetting Togus's brain, Bato subdues Kim, uh, stating that he knows Kim hacked his brain in the store. Resolved to gather material evidence, Bato infiltrates the Locus Solus headquarters ship while Togusa remotely hacks its security systems, um, demonstrating abilities that he has hitherto never once demonstrated, um, using an unaware Kim as a proxy. Uh, the ship's security becomes aware of the hacking and retaliates with a virus that fries Kim's cyberbrain. Um, simultaneously, a hidden virus loads a combat program into the production line uh, gynoids or gynoids or whatever, um, causing them to attack everyone aboard, easily slaughtering the poorly armed. I think they're pretty well armed, but uh, they just, you know, are uh, their, their necks are not quite sturdy enough. Um, yeah, the the uh, unsturdily necked and panicked security force. Um, <laughs> as Bato fights to the ship center, the major then appears, uh, basically like hacks into one of the gynoids, um, and helps Bato fight the other gynoids, um, and hacks the ship security. Taking control of the ship, the major reveals to Bato the truth about the gynoids. Uh, hiring the Yakuza to traffic young girls, Locus Solus uh, trap them on the ship and duplicate their consciousnesses into the Ginoids, um, giving them human ghosts to make them more realistic. Um, in other words, ghost dubbing, which we may have, might be in the Scott Johansson movie. Um, Bato rescues a young girl from a ghost dubbing machine, uh, and she explains that Jack Watson. Having learned the truth about Locus Solus, promised to save the girls by tampering with the ghosting process. This caused the Ginoids to murder their owners, allowing Loxon to attract police attention and indirectly kill the Yakuza boss. Uh, despite Loxon's action saving the girls, Bato objects that he also vic- victimized the Ginoids as well, uh, causing them severe distress by giving them damaged ghosts. Um, I don't know if this is actually what the objection is. Um, in yeah. what is happening, there might be a, uh, a different way of, um, it, this might not be fully correct, but I guess we'll see. Um, having solved the case, Bato asks the major if she's happy now, now that she's like, you know, merged with the net, um, and become this, and, you know, having become this godlike being, um, she is like, gives a kind of ambivalent response. Um, and responds that she'll always be beside him on the network, then disconnects from the Ginoid. And Finn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, with that, did I get it right? Yeah, most for the most part. Okay, we can we can end the bit now. I know it's yeah, it's I, it's a little. Taxing. I just I just caught all of the un all the unknown 
Um, I got a a, a gold thing. So that's the a, end a of the podcast. Thing? Yeah. What's what's the gold thing? Um. So you know how like you catch the first few unknown, and and you get a medal. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I caught the 26th one and I, I got a gold one. I got a gold medal. So remember how really? we got a silver when we caught 10? Yeah. 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 I just, I just so, caught my 10th. I just got that. Yeah. There's no like secret room. There's no like, like swamp dragon secret boss that you get, get to fight. Um, I, I just, I just have a gold medal. Wow. Wow. I'm depressed now. Yeah. Well, Maybe we thanks should talk everyone. about this depressing movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, everyone. Um, I guess we're going to like pivot into a, a new podcast now. So, um, yeah. 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 Oh, wait, we should I, do wait, something. I, I have like, an idea. Because okay. we just like we were just talking about that movie while I was playing in the game, um, mm-hmm. and I thought of a really because you were like talking about ghosts and like ghost dubbing, and I do like ghost type Pokemon, so I thought of a cool name. Are you ready? Yeah. All right.
Hello, and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the X4 Audio Network. I'm your host, Neve, and I'm joined by your other host, Connor. Hey, everyone. Hey, welcome and, to Ghost um, Divers. That we yeah, can just make up right now. Yeah, and we're going to talk about this movie that we watched, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. Um, and for some reason, so when I got that gold medal, I just like also unlocked a bunch of memories of... I actually watched a 1995 movie called Ghost in the Shell. Um, I think this actually is a sequel to that. Um, okay. And I also watched like a an anime called Standalone Complex. Wow. That's, so, that's deep. That's like, that's yeah. some, those are some impressive mechanics there in the Pokemon Silver. Yeah. This is um, still the stupidest bit we've ever done on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's up there. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so we're fully talking about anime. Yeah, I'm depressed by the gold medal situation, so we're just going to talk about this depressing-ass movie for a while. Um, or maybe it's not depressing. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll decide it's not by the end. Um, yeah. yeah. I know when I'm depressed, what I want to do is talk about anime. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair. Um that um, may be a, a small, like, part of the reason why Ghost Divers exists. Um, yeah. Like a 5 to 5%, maybe. Um, so, it's definitely definitely in there. Yeah. So I guess to, like, to, to get things started, I wanted to... Because I also think it'll be important as we, like, start talking about some of the other themes here. Um, is we can talk a little bit about the animation style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which has this heavy use of 3d animation um and usually for animating spaces uh most of the characters are are 2d animated but most most of the environments here are 3d um they often have like very very intense textures put on them um and like what do you it's not just textures but like you know whatever the the thing that the you like, term is. yeah, whatever the technical term for like, basically the jag, the JPEG that displays on the different polygons of 3D animation. All of them are like clearly still like we've done some hand drawn thing that's going to be the the you know texture on this wall or whatever. Um, but then it is still like a 3D animated space that people are moving through, um, and they also kind of use it to set up a lot of shots where you can get like. Um, fisheye lens effect through it and you know various other things um, with 3D also gets used for the the um, the gynoids the like you know the dolls basically throughout it also some like various toys and things are, are animated with the 3D yeah. animation but all of the and human characters some of the, um, some of the machinery as well yeah yeah um and a thing that one i think for like i think that the 3d animation here has aged better than a lot of 3d animation from this era Mm -hmm. um because of how much they are like relying on these like very ornate um you know, textures applied to everything, and a lot of it is being used to kind of set up spaces rather than just like fully animate everything. Um, 
an understanding that like most human bodies are at that point not going to be well animated in 3D and so those being hand drawn um i think is is like a a smart use at the time of 3D animation um some of it does still kind of just like stand out as um i don't know like there's a slight yeah there's a slight like odd awkwardness and i think the part that whenever I watch it that I'm, I kind of get stuck in is. So one, there's a a lot in this movie about like the human body and then the droid body, um, the, the doll body. And in contrast to what we saw and we talked about in the first ghost in the shell movie, um, where, so much is put in that like assembling of the major's body sequence into this is a, a cybernetic body. And yet like we, we talk about how much that body feels like a human body that feels like the, the gore or the like anatomical drawing um, and the, the weird mixing of those two sometimes of like, these are organs, but they are cybernetic organs. Like there's yeah, like, so much like, like the verisimilitude to like yes. the human form. And it all being the same animation method, I think helps drive that home. Um, and here, because they are doing these doll bodies, it is, it is so much like when you see the assembly of the doll during the sort of intro credit sequence. I forget if there's actual credits or if they just kind of play that, but I think it is credits. Yeah, it isn't is. it? It's yeah. Credits. yeah. Um, so the, the like matching credit sequence here is this assembling of a doll body, which is not this like same, uh, verisimilitude and it is using this 3d animation to do it. Um, and I sometimes wonder, would this be stronger if, if the, doll bodies and the human bodies were rendered in the same way or is what they're talking about something where it is actually interesting and important to have the doll bodies being animated differently than the human bodies and yet to like and to talk about how these are like distinct things and yet also interrelated um and i think that's one of the biggest things that whenever i watch this movie i I kind of i never like have a final feeling about it because i sometimes feel like this would just be better if things were animated the same way um they could still emphasize the like artifice of the doll body and yet it being in a shared animation style um could also help like draw some similarities even if it even as like design is pointing towards dissimilarities and there are other times where i'm like no the like extreme difference of the the doll body and the human body is the point um that like both of these like the doll is attempting to be this like idealized form of the human body and yet in that like idealized form it becomes strange and uncanny and yeah um and like very unlike a human body uh, and the 3D animation, like, intensifies that. And I can kind of see the arguments for both. Um, but it, it's just one of the things that stands out the most to me every time I watch it. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think I'm think i in kind of the latter camp. Um, the first time I watched this movie, which um, was a few years ago, I think, um, right around the time that, like, 
you had gotten the Indie Ghost in the Shell. Um, I remember, like, I found the 3D animation, like, really jarring um, and didn't really, like, care for it um, just because of, like, you know, again, the way that it's aged. Um, and then also, like, just how all, all the things that you just described, how, how jarring it is in, like, the way it's implemented and in relation to, like, you're coming from the rest of the franchise. Um, this time around, I actually liked it quite a bit more. Um, you know, I, I don't have enough, like, technical knowledge of animation to really uh, make pronouncements about this kind of thing. Um, but I, I did feel watching it this time that it's actually really well done. Um, mm-hmm. and considering like, you know, obviously the technology available at the time and the era, like, um, I, I which, think it, it's smartly aware of the limitations of the technology at the time. Right. Um, and I mean, yeah. And, and technology is all just, again, it's just a tool. It's, it's how you use it. That is like meaningful. So I think the way that like the constraints of the technology gives it a certain like substance. I, I mean, it, it makes the animation what it is, but like the way that it's actually like rendered and, and implemented um, is actually extremely interesting. Um, and a lot of the like the film does a lot of mixing and overlaying with the 2D and the 3D. Um, mm-hmm. in a way that like I didn't really appreciate the first time I watched it um, and it is extremely intricate um, and makes for some like uh, very rich and like intriguing shots and sequences um, that like this happens in the like the parade sequence is a, a good example but a lot of there's other sequences where they're like moving through like cityscapes that are like crowded with people. Um, and there's like a 3d backdrop that's like blended with like the 2d foreground of like the characters moving through. Um, and the blending is like, it, it's, it's well blended. <laughs> um, yeah. Cons- all things considered. Um, um... but well, I'll, I'll let you respond because you know more about yeah. animation than I do. Well, I was I was gonna say something to you of like, so friend of the pod, Ina, who's the the one person who wrote into this episode. So we'll get to um, her email later, uh, but um, watched this movie today and was just like absolutely taken aback and tweeted a bunch of screenshots from the the movie and it was incredible to to me looking at the screenshots because i think looking at stills from this movie like there's like the city where they were in the plane coming down and it just like the yeah yeah um etorofu and it just looks like the most like um meticulously drawn like image like it, it just looks like it was hand drawn um in all of the shots of the city um you know the the building it just looks like this like ridiculous hand-drawn building um even the you can kind of start to see some of the 3d and some of the images of the the parade that 
um, she tweeted, but like even that still feels in many ways, very hand drawn in, in this like um, strange way where like maybe a little bit of computers being used for like, you know, like I've seen like, 3d or people do like cg or um not cg uh like photoshop paintings and you can sometimes kind of get these lighting effects that i that you see here um really the one big one where it's just like oh that's just like a a 3d rendering is the foot of the the statue outside of the like um looping recursive um, building yeah kim's mansion um that one looks very like obviously the foot in particular looks like a CG image. Um, and that image a little bit more stands out, but you know, having recently watched this in motion, so many of these scenes are very, very obviously, at least to me, 3d animated. Um, it is, it is like very clear that the way that things are moving, the way that, um, these like meticulously drawn images that in these stills look like just like a flat, um, you know, digitally drawn image, um, it becomes clear that those are all dig- those are like drawn textures being applied to these shapes that are th- now in like physical motion um, in 3D animated motion. Um, and so it is also interesting to me of like so much of the stuff like it is weird in how much it coheres as like this um, aesthetic style, but then also. I am at least always hyper aware of like how much this is just a CG movie where they have like hand drawn some characters. Um, like yeah. one of the, one of the images that she tweeted, there's Bato and uh, the major in the like doll body standing where there's all of the um, ghost dubbing machines. And like in, in that shot, um, the Bato and the major look like they are just both like hand drawn. And yet I know that in the actual animation, like that doll body is CG and Bato is hand drawn. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's incredible like how much they were able to get that in the, um, in the like individual frames. And yet it is still like when in motion, the, 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 um, 3d animated part like really comes out i guess for sure Um, but to to your point earlier um and this is maybe more of the like interesting aspect of this um i i do feel pretty strongly that um it, it does like the fact that this like this form it does like have meaning that um is like coherent with the narrative of the film and i think yeah and you you touched on this but there's a kind of like distancing effect that happens with um not only the like the 3d um like the cg animation um itself and the uncanniness of um of the images and like figures um, but also the overlaying of the 2d and uh the cg um yeah i think that like the film is interrogating um not only like the difference between you know humans and dolls like humans and dolls becomes this like conceit um but i think it is 
interrogating like embodiedness and like perception of reality um in ways that are tied to like embodied embodiedness um that like heavily interrogating in a way that is like supported by um the uncanniness of just like that permeates this entire world of the film um by virtue of like the mixing of these animation styles and the use of this um cg animation um yeah and i say this as someone like maybe it just has this effect for me because um this like style of animation for me just reminds me of like some of these like ps2 like like games that i used to play with like these cg animated cutscenes, um and like yeah. silent hill you know it, it makes me think of like playing silent hill and having these like um cg animated cutscenes that were just like in their uncanniness and in their like like unreality just somehow like so much more like viscerally disturbing and just then like even like you know photorealistically like what would be done now um so this yeah. style of like animation has always just given me the like heebie-jeebies to an extreme degree um and so it really hits for me like viscerally um but even outside of that, like, I, I think that it does, like, have this effect in the film that is um, uh, interesting and, like, yeah. supports, brings out some of the, the the themes that are, like, at stake. Yeah, some of it kind of reminds me, too, of um, just, like, another PlayStation 2 poll, uh, Digital Devil Saga and it, its sequel, which I don't know if you're familiar with these. Um hmm. They were honestly like one of my favorite sort of spinoffs of the Shimigami Tensei series. Um, and basically like it, it is bizarre in that it is like one of the most um, horror vibey of them where the, so normally it's like, Oh, you will like summon demons or in persona, like you have these masks that are kind of like Jojo's bizarre adventure stands that stand behind you when you summon them that are the persona or, you know, five is masks, um, different ways of summoning them in different games. Um, but in, uh, digital devil saga, the, the character actually like, turns into this strange demon form. And then one of the options that you have during combat, in addition to just like normal attack and, um, you know, magic and stuff is to actually eat the like demon that you're fighting and like, like basically cannibalize it. Um, and I forget exactly the stuff that you go through, but like this idea of like cannibalism is a, a significant part in it as well. And so it's like this, like, um, it's one of the like weirdest and like in in some ways it's like one of the most upsetting of the Shimigami Tensei games and yeah it I think it's like <laughs> I think it's one of my like favorite because of it because it is like it's one of the the only ones that like really I think plays at the the like unsettling like this is a game about like demons nature that <laughs> you know Persona is yeah. the like least 
unsettling version of this where it's just like, oh, psychic manifestations of the, you know, unconscious mind or whatever. Um, <laughs> and this is like... Actual demons. Yeah. They eat each other. Well, and you are playing as just like weird demons that, you know... Um, have like strange spines that come out of the arms to attack or um yeah so i so i like i would hire like we should at some point just play digital devil saga connor i don't know how we're gonna make that uh uh ghost divers thing but (laughs) i'm sold (laughs) i would love to play that yeah now that we've Um, caught all the unknown we're my uh my game boy advance is is all freed up so (laughs) yeah but it, uh, it has a similar, it's not like, obviously this is a, a f- like high budget movie. And so they can um, put far more into the rendering than like cut scenes and especially in-game stuff on PlayStation 2. But there's also this like similarly um, like dark, grimy, uh, kind of like a little unclean vibe that, that you get mm-hmm. throughout this. Um which also like 1995 V cinema stuff was happening. And I think you can kind of see it in ghost in the shell, but there's also a certain, um, you know, recently we had Emma on for ornate stairwells. Uh, by the time this is out, I, I guess on Tuesday in the free feed, people could listen to the episode or they could become a patron of export odd. I, listen to the episode where we watched cure the, the, um, 1997 film um and on that like episode we also talk a little bit about how kind of part of like this v cinema aesthetic this aesthetic that was like common in japan around this time and you know possibly would have been influencing something like innocence um was this like this focus on these like dirty unkept spaces um or like like everything feels a little kind of cramped and dusty and um, hasn't been cleaned recently and things. Yeah. Disorganized, um, grimy, yes. disordered. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which which is alive. all over this as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, and along that, along those lines, um, just a couple of like quick notes uh, that I had about, just the animation and atmosphere. Um, and you're kind of we're already segueing into it, but, um, you know, you see right away, like the opening shot, um, just like you said, um, it's, you know, panning over, um, there's a lot of background cityscapes, um, which is not uncommon for, uh, Ghost in the Shell. Um, but here they are dark, dusty, murky, um, and uh saturated with orange um you know almost like uh they're like in the way that like um you know when there is like a huge fire or like wildfires um you get like that uh that kind of sickly orange um sky um so you further reinforcing just the sturdy like smoggy murky uh world um which stands in pretty clear contrast to like um these kind of clean and bright yeah i mean you see like dingy um cities and like buildings in disrepair in the 95 film and standalone complex 
Um, but as far as like the rendering of the actual city, it tends to be pretty um, clean uh, and bright. Um, here it, it is not. Um, uh, moreover, uh, the like characters themselves, um, the rendering and the presentation. So even even though it does continue to use like you know the, the hand drawn um, like style, uh, like we were discussing, um, I think hopefully you you felt the same way that the characters are rendered uh, much differently. Yeah, um, they're they, all like they are closer to the 1995 movie than to standalone complex um which some of this i think is also just that like by nature of being a tv show standalone complex in some ways has to like grime in animation is a thing that takes time to like draw and animate um Mm -hmm. and so it is often easier to have like clean lines um we definitely get some grimier spaces in second gig um but also, like, characters ne- often need to be slightly more s- simplified because you're just animating so much more for, like, a Which we a, a also TV saw show. in Second Gig. Yeah, and there's also just a, a, a um, lower expectation in a TV show compared to a movie for, like, the, the amount of detail that goes into the character. Um, but I still feel like the, the designs in Innocence are different than in, like, the 1995 ghost in the shell um and often in a way where um oh what's the what's the is the that anime just ping pong oh i'm not not familiar with it um ping pong the animation um which so i think like um masaki uh yuasa Masaki, who who did it, uh, kind of has the style. Are you familiar with like any of his anime? Mm-mm, I don't think so. Um, it like varies to some extent. So um, some of his other ones, I I feel like compared to a lot of animation, he's m- more willing to do like, um, kind of stretching and uh, you know the smears of animation. Uh, okay. A lot of his animation is like very expressive in that way, but especially the ping pong animation. I think some of it comes from the the style of the manga as well. But like, let me see if I can just find a, a gif. But some of it reminds me of that, where like there's an un there's an uninterest in like making characters look attractive, if that makes sense. I yeah. feel like um, there there's more of an interest in like emphasizing angles even as those angles may be like unflattering to the form um sure um well while you're looking for that um yeah i think for me it um it it is very expressionistic um or reminiscent of expressionism i should say um the characters are all like and and moreover, like, for me, it's more than just, like, having additional detail comparative to, like, second gig. Um, it's the specificity of the details and the way that they, like, it, what they actually convey. Um, so characters all have these very severe, much more severe expressions, starker, flatter lines in their face. Um, 
giving them a very like rigid statuesque um like imposing um look um and as a result their their resting faces because there are quite a few shots of characters like contemplating or looking off uh looking down um and there's an immense amount of tension and stress uh in their expressions like throughout the film um due to this the way that they're drawn um yeah simultaneously like the characters the way they're situated in the world um there is a lot of chiaroscuro lighting um characters are often cast in shadow um and i'm sure there are uh tons of um screenshots we could pull of this um the expressions and movements are like slow um again almost like to um in 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 inhuman degree um or in in what i think is it supposed to be a dull like um reminiscent of kind of dull like movement um there are actually like scenes later in the in the film where um this is played up even more um but uh so yeah the way they're situated in the world is like reinforcing this um tension um this like brooding expressionist uh expressionistic feel um and then in addition like the relationships between the characters um and the dialogues uh and the tone of the dialogues um are all equally strained and tense um which all of this adds up to this like overwhelming atmosphere of um, repressed tension, um, angst, uh, suspicion, um, and then of course like you know mystery, um, which uh, you know I think runs through the film um, yeah. in, in a way that's significant. Uh, um, and now I'm looking at these uh, <laughs> these drifts that you sent. Yeah, well, most of them are just static ones, but there is a there is an animated one. Um, I'm just like, I guess I'm just capt- captivated by the animated one, so I didn't yeah. even notice the other. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, like this style is different than what we're seeing in Innocence, but I I think there is a certain shared like um, willingness to like deform the human body for the perspective. Sure. You know? Um, yeah. you know, in a way that like a, a camera lens might, and yet can still sometimes feel unusual in animation because of the like strange ways that you are, um, and also often it is like emphasizing what a camera distortion might do to you. Um, it is, it is pushing it like further. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think this ties in to like some of the stuff we discussed with the, um, the way that the like CG s- stuff is used. Yeah. Um, the, the one other thing I wanted to mention with some of the CG stuff too, that um, is something that I don't know if I, I have like final thoughts on. I was literally just thinking of it as we were talking earlier, um, but we were kind of in the middle of something. So I didn't bring it up then, but was um, also the interesting way that the choices in animation here mean that the, uh, dolls are more like the spaces in which people live than the humans are. Um, 
like in many ways the the sure. the doll bodies are use animated with the same techniques more so than the the human bodies are and that that's kind of an, an interesting thing as well here um that like you know we live in a world of things and kind of perceive ourselves as separate and dolls are strange in that they are these like things in the environment that but that are like shaped to look like us um yeah um and i think that you know becomes like an explicit um question uh and like point of discussion in the film um later on is you know this positioning of dolls in relation to humans um and then um you know the the question of what is humanity or what is like um real uh is i mean it's it's the crux of, of the like you know entire story yeah essentially um Um, related to to, or you might have something i was going to bring up the one recurring quote that and it's like sort of relation to a lot of these themes um that also ties into another thing that we're going to talk about more when we get to second gig the one like big thing that i find interesting in second gig um i don't know if you had something else you wanted to talk about first but um i was just going to throw in there you know just to like further um reinforce this um this like the body horror elements of this film um are are tying in uh directly with all the stuff we're talking about um and you know we we get a good amount of those um from the opening scene the uh suicide of the uh the gynoid um when she like you know rips her chest open yeah or the um, self-termination which is a thing that came up in the first season of saint alone complex as well the like well it'd be more accurate to call it self-termination and then being like eh, it still feels like a suicide to me uh, yeah Togusa being like you know skeptical that that uh cyborgs like have or not cyborgs that like you know androids have uh consciousness and um kind of perhaps even an exaggerated like um version of of this like aspect of Togusa here um but uh so yeah of course the scene um we get the lab uh with the um scientist uh Haraway, which is interesting uh choice of name um but the this whole body horror aspect of the lab um where the gynoids are um, positioned around um, in these poses that are um, simultaneously like somewhat sexualized or evocative um, and also, you know, like human. Um, there's like shots, uh, several shots that linger on them and seem to emphasize uh, along with the dialogue, like the uh, uncanniness and the like, quote unquote, humanness of the these bodies. Um, but then, while this is happening, like contrasted with the fact that these bodies are in various states of disassembly, um, and the disassembly, like 
the forms of disassembly that they're in are also like graphic and suggestive. Uh, yeah. Looking like, you know, um, they've perhaps been like murdered or like, you know, autop, like autopsies. Um, and, and we get, you know, like parts that are evocative of, um, organs and, you know, parts of the human body and stuff. Um, so that is in, uh, that is happening also, <laughs> um, along with this. Uh, so yeah, I think we've probably covered, like, we've probably brought this out to, to a good enough degree. Um, yeah. that like, yeah, this is important, um, and happening throughout the film. Um, so yeah, sorry if I didn't, uh, derail where you were going too much with that, um, no, it was fine. Mine was mine was kind of a pivot as well, but that is still related to these things, which is um, the recurring quote, which um, also kind of comes up in the uh, sequence with Kim, who is kind of in this um, body that it is like somewhat corpse-like, honestly, um, hmm. and it is like feigning at death, but then. Bato throws out of the chair and then, you know, does this like kind of unsettling laugh. Um, and that this quote, like it gets tied in there. I think it's comes up around those scenes. Um, and is one of the, I would say one of the main recurring quotes. Um, cause especially this happens throughout standalone complex to a lesser degree, but especially the, the two movies, um, really love to like quote from various philosophical texts. And I think, um, Innocence in particular is one of the most, uh, like it's just happening constantly. Togus is doing yeah. it. Bato's doing it. Um, but this one really stands out. It, it recurs a bunch. Um, and there are various ways of translating this. It's, a actually from a poem. Um, but it, you know, essentially says life and death come and go like marionettes dancing on a table. Once their strings are cut, they easily crumble. Um, and this is, as I said, a, a poem from the, um, it's a Nanboku Cho period Buddhist monk named Getsuan Soko, who, um, this would have been, I think around like the 1300s or, or 13th century or something. Um, I forget exactly when this period happened, uh, but it's most notable actually for being quoted in a book of theory on no theater, um, called A Mirror of the Flower, which... I feel like this movie is pulling most directly from, from this kind of, this no play idea. Um, and even this idea of like a mirror of the flower. Um, and this is by a, a noted theorist about like no plays and, and how they work um, named Zayami Morokio. Um, and specifically like in the context of this work, uh, what this quote is referring to, like why he brings up this poem and, and why he like brings it into the context of no theater is he is talking about like this theory of the proper way to perform in no play. And it is to um, let the body become the marionette that you are puppeting um, to, to have your own body become a, a, a doll or a marionette Um and when you are, you know, this is specifically coming in for when you are acting a death scene to act 
the death scene as if your body is a marionette who's had its strings uh, cut mm. and, and crumbles to the ground. And it's essentially saying like, this is the, the actual essence of like life itself of like the actual human body is the, you know, it, it's sort of doing this, like Mind in some ways body. we are all these marionettes that are, are dancing and our strings are cut and how easily we crumble um in this like moment of death um and you have to like fully understand this in order to like properly capture what death is on the the stage the best way is to like think of yourself as a doll um and a uh you know that how easily how the life is not something that is like necessarily inherent to the body but is a thing that is like brought to it by the strings almost um mm. Which obviously has like significant <laughs> uh, connection with um, a lot of this film, and and we even kind of see this when the major leaves the body; it kind of crumples as a um, you know marionette, marionette yeah. with its strings cut. Um, honestly, a lot of the death animations have this feeling. Um, so uh, I, I kind of wanted to bring it in. Specifically because this is, um, one, this is a significant quote in the movie. And I think also this idea of like no play and, and how it's representing life and death, um, further ties into a lot of themes that are, are in this film and that are also going to, um, this idea of no play is going to extend into a lot of how I'm reading second gig, uh, which people have won't listen like next time we are going to start second gig episodes in the feed, but we have already recorded it. You and me, Connor. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I might already know some of your ideas. Yes. About, about this. <laughs> um, um, I think that that second gig is handling it differently, but I can also see how, um, you know, this movie is being produced basically during the, the first season of standalone complex and comes out somewhere in, um, I forget the exact timeline, but it's, I forget if it's in between first season and, and second gig or if it like falls around when second gig is, um, releasing, but, um, obviously like this movie and second gig are, are in the same sort of space. Um, and also first season to, to a great degree as well. Um, but when, by the time people get to second gig, they probably would have seen innocence if they're you know, into ghost in the shell. Yeah. Um, the, so I, I do think that this is like a key quotation. Um, and what, and what was interesting to me when you, um, with some of the stuff that you brought out there is the way that like this image of the, like treating your body like a puppet that you're puppeting. Um, it conveys like maybe not as like an absolute mind body duality, um, but a sense of separation. Like it rests on a sense of separation from the body. Yeah. Um, or to me in particular, um, not even fully separation, but also like a, a thing that comes to my mind is like almost a dissociation um, yeah. or like a, a distancing of yourself from also yourself. Um which is because especially this coming from a, a Buddhist monk um, and a Buddhist monk in Japan, which um, sort of a lot of Japanese Buddhism, especially Zen Buddhism, but kind of 
Buddhism in general in Japan has some of this influence from Taoism, and Taoism in particular pushes a lot against ideas of duality, um, of the, like, dualism of mind and body. Uh, it is this thing of, like, yes, these are, like, kind of discrete things, and yet in the way that, like, yin and yang are, are opposites or are odds and yet are, like, part of the same whole, so is the same with, like, the, the self. And, like, what is the mind without the body? What is the body without the mind? Like, these things are actually... Um, inseparable and yet like we can we conceive of them as separate and yet they're like at their true nature they are and i think some of i don't know exactly like this specific buddhist and how he was thinking of things but i know that this actually like um permeates some of like japanese buddhism as well this uh actual like push against this idea of um mind body separation so i think that like further makes this interesting and complicated because at once it is gesturing towards it and at the same time it becomes the strange dissociation of the self from the self rather than just like the mind from the body um sure yeah um and i i think that like that nuance is probably important for some of the stuff that that's going on in innocence. Um, yeah. Because there is like on, like on a fundamental level, a lot of it is concerned seemingly with um, a kind like the idea of a alienation or distancing or dissociation um, or separation Um from like and, and i do think all all four of those like things are at play yeah um, from the body um and then also like in the various forms of that so like there is this fundamental conceit of like you know it's it's only revealed kind of fully at the end um but this like absolute horror of what is happening in the film um, where these children are being ghost dubbed um, into like these ginoid bodies that are, um, are like somewhat pluralized, um, but also like, you know, replicas of like essentially adult female bodies um, intended for like, that are made for like, you know, sex being used in sex. Um, and there is this like horror when you realize that like, this is what's happening. And then you contemplate like, just, you know, understanding like what this is, what this means. Um, and then, you know, like being trapped in this body, um, like the idea of these children being trapped in these bodies, um, the horror of being trapped in a body that is like, um, that you don't want or that you like can't, that isn't you, um, or, or what have you, or just fundamentally the horror of being like the idea of being trapped in a body that you like can't get out of. Um, yeah. All of those things are in play. So on the side of like being actually embodied, there is like, there are these questions of like alienation and separation. And then like on the opposite side, 
of being like disembodied, <laughs> there are also like, uh, like iterations of that. Um, I think one big example is around Kusanagi, um, where we have, um, the like, this running theme that, that we've discussed many times, um, of Kusanagi's body, how there's a degree of like, tension and alienation around that with her her body being owned by the state um at least like legally um yeah and that is finally like brought out and spelled out fully here um because we do get some of that in the 95 film where it's like talked around a little bit um but here it actually becomes like a major plot point where um Bato talks about how Kusanagi's body, like, is owned by the state, um, and her memories are owned by the state. Um, yeah. And, like, we see the consequences of, like, she's escaped, but the state is now, like, actually trying to hunt her down. Um, so, like, you know, this horror of then, like, being separated from your body, or, like, um, you wanting your body to be your own and then the threat of like it being taken from you. Um, like on, on all sides, there is this like um, this tension of like distancing um, at play. And it's like manifested um, in these various different like horrors or like horrific possibilities um, that yeah. I think like, you know, um are like interrogating um again like these questions of um embodiedness and like what it means to be embodied um in in a way that like is in relation to um like questions of life and death um and then um you know the the performative like aspect um contained like in the quotation there yeah i I think too like because i i was talking a little bit about some of the like ambiguity with that quotation of like at once there's this like dualism of of mind and body in it once there's also like a uh in its origin as like this um quote from a buddhist poem there's also like some confusion there or or some I, I think tension that is meant to be there of like, this is not the only possible reading. Um, and I think this also sort of gets emphasized with some of the stuff and also kind of further emphasizes some of what comes up in the 1995 ghost in the shell where, um, you know, the, there's things that are kind of at odds in that 1995 ghost in the shell where um, Kusanagi is kind of getting a, is escaping from the state by leaving the body while the puppet master is actually sort of escaping from the state by trying to enter into a body and by being embodied can like try to at least seek, um, you know, various Some other form forms of like to, yeah, to death. of escape and, and also escape through death. Yes. Um, and so like the body, both a, a thing that like enables the escape from the state as well as like leaving the body, enabling that, and then this movie further complicating that and, and emphasizing the strange ambiguity around embodiment by like 
yes, in some ways, by separating the mind from the body, the major has like escaped. And yet, in fact, these are still kind of inseparable because the the memories are also something that is like a, a part of that body owned by the state. Like what, mm-hmm. you know, in my current it's, body, it, what is, what is a, like how, what are my memories separate from my brain? And Ghost in the Shell is talking about like, okay, if the, if the internet and like the, you know, computing technology allows like the offloading of human memory, um, I think that, like, Oshi would say that, like, the fact that I have photos of, like, times in my past on my phone or whatever is also, to some degree, like, an offloading of my memory um, mm-hmm. into another thing. Um, there is still, like... The the state still owns the memory, right? Like, the, the right. state owned her body, but the state also owns her memories and, like, wants those back. Um, and then at that point, like, what is the ghost without the body and the memories and everything? Um, right. And so I, I think there is, like, a... Um, there There is still, like, a, a questioning and intention in all of this that I find interesting. Um, yeah, Absolutely. And then again, of course, like you, you've been, you know, pushing at some of these things or pointing at some of these things. But um, I think it is, again, easy to see like trans resonance at work in this with these ideas of being trapped um, or, or like stuck into, in this body, the, the like fear that the children have um, as well as like these things around the, the mirror um, mm. the, the stuff with being the trapped in the body is a thing that um, I, I think is like a, a very complex topic in a lot of trans things because the, the narrative of like being trapped in the wrong body is a, um, a thing that is, is like generated by a specific, a specific thing like in the gatekeeping of trans healthcare. And there are other ways of reframing and thinking about transition as like, no, this is my body. And what I actually need is just like more control over what form that body has, um, the ways that I can like change my own body, um, and like having that actual autonomy over the body. Um, but I I think there's also still some resonance there in like the, the, um, being still embodied in a certain body has like its limitations and there, there are like ways that you have to work in that. And this is um, showing how that stuff can actually it being able to have these cyborg bodies does not like fully remove the, the difficulties around that. Um, but then we also get these things around the mirror. Like you have this quote that you put in here, which is one that stood out to me as well of don't find fault in the mirror when it's your own face that's distorted. Um, which, you know, ties into dysmorphia and, and things like that, um, as well as kind of a, it, it is then also tying into this idea of the, the doll as this like mirror, this idealized form mirror of the human body. Um, yeah. Um, the, uh, the mirror trip is interesting and the reason that I put that in, um, it's, it's actually because, like, I was watching the film and I was trying to, like, I did eventually find a uh, document that, like, comp- uh, compiled all of the quotations and then, like, sourced them all. Um, and I think this is a, a Google, 
quotation. Um, though, like, don't find fault in the mirror when it's your own face that's distorted. Yeah. Um, but I was in the process of, like, typing this quotation into Google, and, um, like, when I, when I ran a search on it, it, like, popped up, like, and, like, many, many articles on dysmorphia. And I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, that might actually, like, there, like, this, this film might actually have, like, some stuff going on, uh, that could, that can relate, like, to this topic as well. Um, it was kind of like, oh, wait, yeah, okay. This stuff is, like, potentially related. Um, so, you know, I started, like, thinking more about it and, um, and, you know, threw it in here to, to see where it would go. Um, but I think the other thing is, um, that especially, like, this film wants to focus on is it's not only that, like, you know, in some of, in, in the series and in the 95 film, um, there are these, like, I think there, there's a good amount of focus on the, like, liberatory, um, aspects of, like, the cybernetic body. Um, but I think here it's, like, you know, not only does it not solve, like, all of these issues, but it also, like, creates the possibility for new issues or for, like, forms of exploitation, like, more extreme or, like, somehow new, like, forms of exploitation in terms of, like, now, like, generating a body and, like, forcing a consciousness into that body with, like, for certain purposes, um, with no way of, like, with that person being, like, well and truly trapped, like, by design, by exploitative design. Yeah. Um, and like how um like the questions that that raises just like in general for like larger issues of exploitation and like um these themes of like technology um humanity like humanity's interaction with technology um that are being taken up throughout the franchise um but now here it's like okay well this is a level of control like on the on one hand you have like this increased level of control to like that can be utilized for like liberatory purposes or transformative purposes um and then like but simultaneously this increased level of control can mean like you know exploitation at uh or violence at like levels like new degrees and new levels of like invasiveness yeah um if that makes sense yeah um um and this like i think this is um this also has like larger implications as well for like creating life like 
Um, cause like the ghost dubbing is, uh, obviously a, a big, um, crux here and like, w- which I think goes to like the, the point that we, um, kind of debated in the plot synopsis of like Bato's final objection where he's like, well, think about the, the gynoids. Um, but I think the film is is seriously considering like, okay, well these ghost dubbed like consciousnesses um are also like are also life. Um yeah. so you're now like creating life within this um within this schema and like for these purposes. Um and in these conditions. Um so <laughs> there's I, I don't know how to tie this all out cleanly. Um but there's like all, all of that happening as well. Yeah. Um This this is like I was watching this movie. This is me like doing a slight pivot from what we were talking about. But I was watching this movie being like I like the original Ghost in the Shell more. Um But also it is so much more just like vibes. Really, like there's a <laughs> yeah. lots of interesting themes happening in there, and yet so much of that movie is vibes. So much of that movie is just like the animation just being um, gorgeous in this way that like only that kind of lavish hand drawn animation can be. Um, and this is honestly gorgeous as like a three D animated thing, but it, it is so much different, um, and it it sits in a very different space than like what. Um, the original one feels like to me. Um, I was watching this one though, being like, I don't like this movie quite as much. And yet this movie is so much more ghost divers fodder. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. yes, the, you, you watch this and you're like, Oh, okay. I see like the, the stuff that we, you know, maybe went too deep into when we talked about the first season of standalone complex of just like everyone is quoting shit all the time. Um, and we tried to like bring in too many of those texts, I think. Um, I think there, there's value in that, but also I've liked how we've like settled into stuff later on where we're like, we don't need to, to bring in like 20 different theory texts and yeah, explicate upon them. Um, we can, we can like find, the ones that we really want to pull at that we think are significant in the way that I'm like pulling out this no, you know, theory book. Um, but yeah, this is just like such a, um, a text that is rife in themes and the way that we like to talk about themes, (laughs) you know? Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. And yet like, at the end of the day, like I, I love this movie and I love thinking about this movie. And yet at the end of the day, the experience of watching it was like less enjoyable and less like, like ghost in the shell is just so standalone as like a fantastic thing where I sit down and watch it and I'm just like blown away. Um, and this one, I, I often enjoy more in the like days after I watch it than in the actual watching of it. Um, although, 
I feel like every time I've watched it, there's a there's a moment where I'm starting to drag a little bit, and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of I'm like losing steam in this movie, and then we get the the recursive mansion, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm back. This is great. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Damn it, bastard! You got me, Kim. Yeah. You, also, you the major shows up again, and I'm like, hell yeah! Because as much as I love Bato and Tokusa, um, you know I'm in it for the major. So once oh, yeah. she shows up in this movie, I'm I'm hooting and hollering. <laughs> yep, yep. And maybe we can talk about that, like the major's position in this whole thing, um, and and how like she comes in at the end because I think that is probably important. Um, yeah. But like, just by way of responding to like some of your, like your experience of watching the film um i i totally agree i think and and i say this in a way that is it's not a value judgment but i I would go so far as to say that this is this is an ugly like film like there it's beautiful in certain respects yeah um like some of the like animations um technically um, I mean, some of the sequences are are amazing. Um, the animation is like gorgeous in its style, um, and I, I do think like I mean, I'm still forming my opinion on the way it's like working out these themes, um, and I think there is like some. Um, how should I say it? Um, there, there is probably some like uplifting aspects in here. Um, but by and large, like the themes of the film, like what it's, what it's interrogating and the questions it's asking, um, about like humanity, its vision of humanity, um, is bleak and like dark and ugly most of the time um like the events that are portrayed are ugly and horrific um the like animation style i mean it's a world like like we talked about at the top like the world itself is like dreary and like grimy and oppressive and the people are like, uh, you know, like stressed and filled with angst and like mad at each other and suspicious of each other. Um, even these characters that like we have just spent like, you know, two seasons of the anime series and like another movie watching, um, and learning all about their friendships, like all of these relationships are totally fractured. Except for, I guess, Bato and Kusanagi. Um, and, like, you know, this is just like the world of this movie. Like, it's ugly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think, while I, I think there's value in, like, what, I think that's important for what the film is, and there's value in it being what it is. Um, it's it's still just like it doesn't really make me feel good <laughs> to watch it you know yeah um i think some of the the 
the beauty that does come up in this film um, or if I'm going to like point to something in this film and, and refer to it as beautiful. Um, I don't think that this movie is like truly an embodiment of Wabi Sabi as a, a concept. Are you like familiar with this idea in, mm-hmm. um, so it specifically comes out of Buddhism. Um, and it is a, a Japanese sort of like aesthetic term, um, that in its broadest sense is kind of about, um, appreciating beauty as something that is like imperfect and uh transient and and never fully complete um and so i don't think that this film is quite wabi-sabi because often um a certain like simplicity or um minimal quality is is part of it which i would say many ways this film feels very maximalist um but i think there are other things that are like sort of encompassed by um this this like broader aesthetic, uh, set of principles that, um, so like part of it is this idea of sort of embodying these concepts out of, out of Buddhism, um, that include impermanence, suffering, and then this like void or like emptiness of the, the self. Um, and I, I think in some ways, some of this stuff is hitting on that, especially I would say the, the suffering and like, void of self or like emptiness of self um Hmm. are are certainly in here um impermanence i think is sometimes gestured at by like the way that everything is kind of in the state of decay um but and then you know there there are things around like um stuff that is like kind of rough edges and and things that are like kind of asymmetrical or um you know have this like kind of a strange, slightly distorted feeling. Um, So within Wabi Sabi, it's more of this like, okay, like you can see the hand in the, the like ceramic vessel, right? You, you can see the way that like this was handmade. There's, there's like sort of little bumps and ridges. It's not, there's no attempt to do the perfectly round on the, the ceramic wheel. Um, Everything is like, has this slightly lopsided feeling. Um, and it it's actually like part of what it's coming from is this idea of like rest and, and, um, the way that things will like decay or, or fall apart. Um, and that being embraced in it. Um, and again, I, I don't think this film is like actually truly this representation of Wabi Sabi. Um, it, it is far too like maximalist for that, but I, I think there is still a certain pushing towards like, um, especially in this like realm of, um, I think it it is doing something interesting in it in that it is using 3d animation and is using like in many ways, these, these things that feel very perfect and like, like 3d animation makes it very easy to like have these like very clean straight lines and, um, have everything in its proper place and, and moving in its proper way. Um, and, and then like overlaying it with these like textures of grime and decay, uh, that, that gives you this like strange, um, again, going back to this like uncanniness that we are talking about. Um, but I, I think there's like some weird capturing, a, a of beauty in that tension, um, that like, almost the unsettling nature of perfection than like 
can bring out what is like weirdly imperfect about the this work and in some of that imperfection i think is where you can find some of this like weird fleeting um from this like certain perspective of you know aesthetics there there's like a strange beauty in that as well so um but it, it is definitely like it is not the the beauty of like the uh you know greco-roman sculptures or like the you know the the beauty of like the the perfect you know there's the the joke of the um the like golden ratio spiral and people like put them over images to as like a meme being like this is perfect um (laughs) sure um but like it, it is this like other kind of form that it, I think is sort of gesturing at stuff. Um, but it, yeah, it is like probably one of the most uh, intentionally pessimistic ghost in the shell things. <laughs> yeah. Like the, it's... the 1995 movie holds like these kernels of hope. Um, and I feel like there's maybe some small things you can find in here, but it it is, still not um it's not even to the that level of like the 1995 which is still kind of a a dark work but um i think has like these more senses of like liberatory possibility um and then i think standalone complex sometimes just gets like sad and pessimistic in terms of like it's so my perceived especially in second gig theory yeah um it, it's political theory and then also my like perceived like weird ways that second gig misunderstands things in a way where um it is like presenting something that i don't know if it's actually good in the way that it thinks but anyway that's <laughs> beside the point <laughs> Brutal, brutal. Maybe we'll get into that more when we when we talk about second gig. Yeah, across there's like, there's four certainly episodes. no episode that will I'll just be like ranting angry at. <laughs> no, of course that never happens. Um, so I'm I'm really grateful that you um, introduced like that you brought in this idea of wabi sabi and introduced it to me, um, because as you were talking about it. some of the things like I think it helped me understand or at least form like my own understanding of this film um, a little bit better Um, I think what I was thinking about like throughout um, like you, you describing this was this dialogue with Kim where he talks about um, actually I, I pulled it up so I'll just read it um so this is when Bato and Kim are talking about, um, where Toga said Bato and Kim, and they're basically confronting him about, you know, whether or not he knows anything about the what's happening with the gynoids. Um, and uh, either Bato or Toga, I can't remember, um, says like, oh, you know, um, these dolls are committing suicide after murdering humans. Um, and Kim says, if that's true, it's pretty unseemly. That would mean replicating humans by breathing souls into dolls. Who would want to do that? The definition of a truly beautiful doll is a living, breathing body devoid of a soul, an unyielding corpse tiptoeing on the brink of collapse. Um, and then he goes on to say, the human is no match for a doll and its form, its elegance and motion, its very being. 
The inadequacies of human awareness become the inadequacies of life's reality. Perfection is possible only for those without consciousness or perhaps endowed with infinite consciousness. In other words, for dolls and for gods. So Kim, like in this moment, is advancing this like extreme duality um, of like absolutes where like human perception like creates like a real world or like a lived reality and like the incompleteness of like the human like form which i think you could interpret in various ways but like you know one of which would be um you know this kind of like fragmented body um but also like the fact that it it dies it's impermanent yeah um like the incompleteness of the human form and then the incompleteness of human awareness. Um, so, you know, humans aren't omniscient. Um, like, and then humans own awareness of their incompleteness, like creates a, a perceptual world um, where like this incompleteness is possible. Um, and like Kim wants a world that has like no incompleteness that just has like static uh, static perfection um and that's only possible with like a void um with like no consciousness at all or with like omniscience yeah um and i think like the film obviously kim is a villain <laughs> in this film mm-hmm. um and like he's deeply involved with the stuff that's going on with the gynoids um he's like conspiring I don't know if it's ever made fully clear, um, but he's clearly like conspiring um, with Locus Solus to to uh, to some degree um, in like what they're doing, um, and this like extreme dualism is something that I think the film is pushing against um, in in like relation to the like this concept of wabi sabi. Maybe not referencing it directly, but like, um, I think framing some things along the same lines of like this extreme dualism is deeply problematic and, um, not only like invalid, uh, in ontological terms, in a way that is like now being revealed uh, in this world through these technologies um, in, in a way that's fundamental, but like in this world is now like brought to a crisis point and, and revealed openly because of these technologies that we have uh, or, or that, that are at play. Um, but then something that is like morally problematic and like leading to exploitation um so the other like thing that i was thinking about in relation to this um that i couldn't quite like figure out a way to tie in is this idea of like innocence um which obviously is the title (laughs) important concept (laughs) um and innocence like what i was thinking is that Innocence is a kind of like purity. It's a kind of absolute yeah. um, and an ideal. Um, and that like 
it is something that is desired framed as like a desirable in this film um so i mean you have this question of like why why do people want like these like gynoids with children's souls in them and there's something about like wanting to commodify like innocence quote unquote in like this exploitative way um in this fetishistic way that like is present in the background here yeah Um, children viewed as as like like this is also tying into the way that this film was talking about this like relationship between um pets dolls and children uh as like kind of these uh and i i think innocence is like one of the the key things that is being pulled in here um as well as i think also like a a a power relationship um yeah i think this is some of what um haraway is also kind of like gesturing at when when she's talking about some of the stuff too of like how um children are like dolls um this like almost like imitation of the human form that isn't actually human yet that will will become a human but it's not a human at this moment um and some of it is like so some of it is this thing of like you know i i have a toddler who's three and um there are are moments where i will say to my wife emily like look at our little human because at the very beginning like we would describe our our child is like a blob sometimes because it was just like you were, it is the thing that is just kind of like bones and organs in a bag of skin. Cause babies are so like strange and fragile and floppy. Um, and it just it's kind like of a like massive undifferentiated potential. Yes. Yeah. This massive un- <laughs> uh, undifferentiated potential that, that just like wanted these like very base things uh, of like existence that just wanted food and to sleep and like to just like have like the very basic like human comfort of just like someone hold me, <laughs> you know, and not in any way that is like expressed or like thought about internally by the, the, you know, baby, like the, the baby just like instinctually is just like, I need food and I like don't have it. And I'm crying because I don't have the thing that I need. Um, and it's not even like that level of thought process. It is just like, literally like, I, I do not have what I need right now, uh, at this like very base instinctual thing. And I, I am just going to like, um, make noise until I get it. Like, I'm just going to like, all I know how to do is just express my like discontent with my current situation. And you even have to figure out, is it cause I'm hungry? Is it because I ate food? Like I drank milk and now I have gas and my stomach hurts. <laughs> like you don't know. You have to figure it out. I can't tell you. I don't know. I just know right. that I'm unhappy. <laughs> I don't have language um, yet. Like I just have yeah. like instinctual responses. Um, And like, there's this, there's been science that has been done too of like, our children come out because of the way that we like evolved because we stood up and walked on, on two legs and that like changed how like hips are and things Um, in order to be able to still have children, we have to like have our children uh, earlier in the development process than most other animals do. Um, And so babies literally come out like three months earlier than 
most other animals are developmentally at when they come out of the womb. In fact, some come out and can like start walking right away. Like they're even like, yeah, like giraffes developed. are like that, right? They're yeah. just like ready to go out of the box. Um, and and so like one of the things that is like notable about um babies is for the first three months, like the the first three months, I would say is the hardest three months of like a being a parent because um they also literally all all they know is just like how to express discontent and it, it, you know, no is like even in a quotation marks here, but like how to express discontent. And so they don't even like have this like base primal understanding of like expressing happiness or contentment. Um, their brains have only developed enough to, to express discontent. And so they have two states in those first three months, which is like unhappy or just like neutral. Um, and it's not until after three months that your, your child will actually smile at you. And it is not like a weird involuntary tick of the the body. It is actually like happy to see you. Um, it is, it is actually pleased that you have like taken care of it. Um, and it is strange how much like as a, a human being, you need that, like that response that even just like a smile or a laugh to be like, Thank you. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Anyway, this is, this is a like slight diversion, but, but to get at like when my child was one, they weren't really like, I didn't look at them as fully as a human. They were like this, this thing that I was taking care of that is a human, but also isn't. And as they get older, more and more, I look at them and I'm like, this is a little human. Like, they're talking, they have like preferences about what food they want. They are, you know, there's still all of these things that we just went through potty training. Like, <laughs> um, there's still all these things to like become socialized as like a, a modern human in a society that the, the child is still going through. Um, and so there is like a, a weird, like, obviously the way that Haraway is expressing it is in this like very, um, I would say kind of shitty way and yeah, cynical way um, that Togusa pushes against. But I think there's also still something within it of like, you know, at this point, my toddler has like moved beyond my cats, but, (laughs) but for like the first year of their life, they, they were less developed than my cats. They could express less about like what they wanted and needed than my cats could. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, there is this, like, this strangeness of, like, at what point do we become, like, what it is that we conceive of as a human? Um, it is one of the questions being brought up in, in here. And then how does that relate to these other things? Um, you know? And then yeah. these ways that we also think of our pets in some ways as, like, people and humans, but also, like, there's still a distance there. So, um yeah, it's one of the things that I, in this watch through in particular struck me the most. Um, I feel like I've like yeah. gone on a complete tangent, but <laughs> no, it was it was a good it was a good tangent. Um, yeah, I think like the so pet, pets are brought into this too in a way that like um, that's actually where I was going to go next is like Botter's dog being a very big part of the film. Yeah, um, we get in standalone complex that Bato loves dogs, but like this is like the Bato is a dog guy work for sure. <laughs> yeah, like fully on like Bato as dog dad. Um, 
there is like a period um i think it's with ishikawa um but i i can't remember um i only watched this film last night damn it you can't expect me to remember um but uh where like the question is brought up of like oh is is she an original um i've heard originals cost a fortune um meaning like you know she's like the actual like organic like that breed of dog um and not like somehow like either like a pure breed in some way or like somehow like synthetic um but the fact that like this question is brought in and then it's immediately stated like oh originals cost a fortune um well here again you have like all of these things at play um this like desire for or this fetish for like a quote quote unquote like original authentic um which to me i'm going to tie in to this idea of innocence in the sense of innocence as a thing that is pure and uncorrupted um like the striving for like authenticity or like an original is a version of this like desire for like a purity or like an uncorrupt somehow like uncorrupted um entity or like version of this thing um which i think this film is framing you know with the conceit of innocence um mm-hmm. but so not only like the desire for and the the, the fetish the fetishization um but also specifically the commodification um that the originals cost a fortune um so that this is something that is taken up like within capitalism um as uh, a thing that is like commodified bought and sold um in in having monetary value um and of course this is exactly what is happening with locus solus um commodifying like or well using these horrific means to try to engineer this form this commodifiable form of innocence um for like these consumers who are fetishizing it and desiring it um and i think the film with the the way the specifics of all of what all of these things are um i think the film is is not painting a very generous picture of like the psychology of <laughs> individuals who who desire this thing right yeah um the people who are buying these dolls the people who are making them um and then you know i think this does have uh critical implications for bato potentially although not the same um like type of probably moral implication um but um yeah so like all of this to say um we're presented with a world where like again the fundamental like unsustainability or the fundamental like falsity of these like dualisms um is exposed um and in crisis uh and like giving rise to like this dilemma um of like you know innocence being a desired commodified thing um 
And the film, I think, like interrogating some of these dualisms and the, um, like the moral hazard of like falling into them and subscribing to them and like the way that they operate, um, and shape like desire, um, and like, um, you know, human action. Um, so, uh, if there is a, like, and, and this is why I'm grateful that you brought this in because, you know, um, if there is a like positive bent on this film, I think it, you know, could be along these lines of like, okay, it's not just like plunging in to like, oh yeah, this is like the worst, like, like here's some really fucked up shit that humanity is capable of. Yeah. And like, here are all these really sad people who are like, you know, who hate each other and like are alienated from each other. And then like all this horrific shit is going on in the world. Um, it's not just like wallowing. It It is like critically interrogating it in a way that is like productive. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, hopefully that all, that all hangs together. Um, but thank you for um, <laughs> thank you for helping me uh, like sort that out because um, I mean I, I like there's still that's just one aspect of this film but um, I went into this conversation hoping like oh I just have this mess of ideas like I hope that like I can tie some of these together um, and I, I think like. I think we're starting to. Yeah. Um, I feel like there, there's a, like lots of little things we could pull at, but I don't, I don't know if there's anything big that you want to touch on to end this out or we can just do our, our email. Um, do you want to talk about the major, um, um, the significance of the major coming in at, at the end here? Um, we could a a little bit. I don't know if you have any specific thoughts on that. Um, I think, like, there's something about, um, like, the the thing that stands out to me is the way that, like, the major is discussed by Bato as, like, his, his, like, guardian angel. Um. Yeah. So she's given this like like even um maybe like somewhat tongue-in-cheek by Bato, but like nonetheless ascribed this like kind of divinity um and then the fact that she has like merged with the net is like hinting at a kind of form of like omnipresence or omniscience um yeah that like seems to align her with like this um like this kind of godhood um that you know in in Kim's like equation you know gods or dolls like she seems to be um like hinting at like the like presence like like the god side of this equation yeah um, and then, like, in this, this denouement, like, 
she takes control of the gynoid, which is, you know, the doll, um, on like, you know, which obviously is framed as occupying like the opposite side of this equation. Um, and then there, like the mirror troop comes in, um, where like, I can't remember exactly what it is. Um, but I think it's like, I think it's, it might be the major as a gynoid, like looking specifically in the mirror. Um, but like this mirror trope comes back in and like, um, again, like I'm not entirely sure, um, how to like tie this all together cleanly. Um, but I think it's, um, it's playing with these ideas. Um, and then like the ambivalence at the end of like, is the major really like equivalent to like a God or, um, is this somehow like also undermining, um, the like duality that is advanced by Kim? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. I I think there is a certain, uh, there's a certain tension because, um, one could read like, okay, what, what is causing, quote unquote issues is like like it is brought up that it is kind of it is the ghost in the the doll bodies of the children that results in the malfunction that like essentially results in the imperfection where these dolls are killing people and things um and we find out more that like this is sort of a, a planned malfunction to um actually get attention to like what's happening so that these kids can get freed and like this this project can get stopped um, and so then you could kind of see like, okay, the thing that like enables this freeing and this like resetting of how things should be is like the, the godlike, um, major going into the doll body and it is like the two extremes there. Um, but I, I do think that there's like in, in the freeing of the, the children and then also the discussion of like how children and dolls relate and also like yes like what what a horror for like uh in some ways almost Bato's talking about like yes the horror of like a child to become a doll but also like for a doll to be a child or to like be to have a ghost is also like a thing that is might also be horrifying for the doll itself um i think there's like things that are are um again pushing against like Kim's worldview, even as like some of the stuff could seem to assert it. Uh, I think it is like being played out in the end here. Um, and specifically in opposition to what he's saying, because also the key thing of like, um, them escaping from this, uh, recursive mansion that they, they end up trapped in is the major being like the, the guardian angel for Bato. And so every Mm -hmm. time he, he enters uh we get this wonderful ornate stairwell and i'm sure i'm talk i will talk about on stairwell um but uh it, it is quite ornate yeah and then I there's sort of this on, on, st- on your stairwell's <laughs> rankings uh you'll also have to listen to find out um but and then there's like the the major there kind of looking um particularly doll like but it, it it you know it's essentially the the child body that we saw at the end of the first movie um, and it has the, the tiles 
that first say um the word that would like be put on the golem to to give it life and then have the like letters removed that would like deactivate or or like destroy the golem um and then i forget it's like 2501 are the numbers the third time oh yeah project 202501 yeah puppet master yeah um yeah and so so that like being a part of it and and her specifically like protecting Bato and and warning him against this uh I think is all stuff that um sort of contradicts as you're saying like Kim's worldview um even as there are stuff that like in seeing her as godlike and as seeing the the dolls and then like the the combination of like those two extremes the the major and the doll body um yeah so but yeah, it, it is like I think very intentionally playing with those tensions throughout the ending. Yeah, well, and maybe by combining them, like the transgression of these like boundaries in of itself being like the redemptive thing that saves Bato's ass. Yeah, um, and then like the ambivalence of the major at the end as like, oh, you know, yeah, my being is like, like dispersed and yeah. not like some sort of, like and, and moving between these like various forms in a way that's not like um it's, a like fixed ideal yeah it's like salvation coming in the form of god putting taking on the form of the human uh, and then dying to to free the humans uh uh-huh. Yeah, I, I feel like I've I feel like I've heard that <laughs> somewhere before. Um, it's just a really familiar concept, and I'm not I'm not quite sure why. Yeah. Um, now, I I will not say anything more. I'm just going to say this to to you, Connor, and then we'll move on. Uh, Bato carrying a cross. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um. um. Do we want to move yeah, on to that's to our classic. one email? Our, yeah, I should change my um, my Twitter avatar to Bato, <laughs> Bato with a cross. <laughs> God, that's that's such a good image. Um, <laughs> yes, let's let's go to our email. Okay, uh, so one email from Ina. Thank you, Ina, for writing in. Um, so, question number one. If our gods and our hopes are nothing but scientific phenomena, then do you admit that it must be said that our love is scientific as well? Three ex- three question marks on this one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You go first. Um, I don't know if this movie is saying that gods and hopes are nothing but scientific phenomena. Yeah, I think... Um, I think this ties back in again to like um, the like Kim dialogue, yeah. Um, where it's like the threat of like science um, revealing that like our existence is like you know this just um, massive overlaid mechanisms and whatnot yeah Um, and i i think the film is um definitely allowing for uh like creating uh more 
ambivalence or a more ambiguous like space uh, around this. Yeah. Um, this is but, a, an incomplete thought that I had earlier and didn't say it earlier, but I'm going to say it in the context of this. Um, Bato's dog may not be an original and may be a replicant from Blade Runner, like the owl, <laughs> because it's too expensive to have normal owls. Um, it's it's incredible. I watched the original Blade Runner recently. It's incredible how much uh, Ghost in the Shell just like pulls from it, but does it so much better. And also comes by the like, like there's some stuff at the end of Ghost Divers around like dolls that feels weirdly Orientalist. And um, by you virtue Blade of Runner? or yeah, Blade Runner, and by you virtue Ghost Divers. <laughs> 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 by by virtue just wait till the end of ghost yeah. divers there's a lot of orientalism going on <laughs> um like i love blade runner a ton but yeah some of the stuff around like the you know the um i forget her name um but Rachel. the no the well they're a little bit but the the um the final confrontation not uh roy but the the other uh replicant the the girl um when they're in, oh, when he's it, in that building i feel like it's a is it like a P name? I think so. Is it Pris? I think that's what that's what I was thinking. It might. Yeah. Um, it might be. But um, anyway, there there is like a certain um, comparison of her to like Japanese dolls. I think in some of the way that they like have her in with all of the like dolls that the um, the guy has and everything um, and her like sitting there and then and then moving around that uh, Ghost Divers just comes by so much more honestly. Yeah, Pris with one S. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, it does not matter, I think, whether like Ishikawa or whatever asks is, is your dog an original? But Tabato, the that is the dog that he loves and it doesn't matter if it's an original or not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, well, again, like the it sense could be a clone or replicant or cybernetic dog or whatever. And, and Bato, that is still the one that Bato loves. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Yeah. That's, that's our answer. <laughs> I think we weasel out of that one. Well yeah. Enough. <laughs> uh, number two, <laughs> Everyone in these movies is very well read, and part of the charm is how everyone has an uh, apropos quote from a really wide variety of philosophers. Who amongst the Section 9 cast in all iterations of Ghost in the Shell is a Jordan Peterson fan? Um, okay. Can I... Can I, I... I I know exactly, like, the right answer for this question. Wait, wait, let's, do a, let's do a 3 two, one countdown and then, and then say... Okay, my so my answer is like more. It's like a sentence. It's not just a name. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. It would. It three two one countdown would be funny, but yeah. Like this is. I truly believe this is Togusa. I think it's Togusa. <laughs> What's yours? I, I, I don't. I don't know. I. I might have a more generous. Like, I don't think Togus is that bad. I think. I think Goda looks at jordan peter i think goda is like oh, oh yeah, yeah this is a useful idiot yeah that's but, like that's what jordan peterson is in the like ghost in the show goda is like oh yeah this guy's a useful idiot like i i will use this guy i think so i guess this was like no but this is who among section nine so i know yeah but nobody my answer is nobody i don't um, think any of them are that bad 
the, but I don't the, know. I don't know about you, Saito. Saito is a little suspicious. The, the thing is, <laughs> I like. I feel like Saito and Borma and Paz just like don't care enough about any of this to like care about Jordan Peterson. Like they are not the the people doing philosophy lines. Um, and so that's the thing is I, I can't see Bato or the major at all being Jordan Peterson fans. Um, and I, I think Togusa, I don't know if Togusa like actively is, but there is definitely at least a period in, in my like conception of Togusa where he was like, yeah, Jordan Peterson. And then like found out more and like people talked to him about it and he was like, oh yeah, this is kind of fucked, huh? But like, he's just like so much of a family man thing. And I think that like, it's so easy if you're just like some cis family man who's not like really being critical about stuff to just fall into the Jordan Peterson hole for a little bit. Um, you know, yeah, you're just on Reddit fair. too much. Yeah. I think, yeah. Toga. So like in high school, maybe took a dark turn there. Yeah. Um, for a period of time or, or in college or whatever. Um, I think the Togusa we get, like, in Standalone Complex is, like, is is, is past that. You, you want to know who uh, I know in real life is a Jordan Peterson fan? Uh, <laughs> do I? <laughs> um, my turf harasser and her husband. Oh, wow. Which yeah. makes perfect sense. Anyway, yeah, question number out. three. Uh, is this the coolest movie I've ever seen? I don't know. That's that's for you to answer, you know. Um, I don't think it's the coolest movie I've ever seen. It's it's a pretty cool movie. I know I was like... It's up there, but... Yeah, it's definitely up there. It's it's a pretty cool movie. I feel bad because I was like, oh, this movie's ugly. Um, it is a really cool movie, though. And yeah. I think it's one that has, like that's worth rewatching many times. I think that it's ugliness is intentional, which is part yeah. of what also can make it kind of beautiful because it is like intentionally doing these things rather Playing than it just, that. yeah. Um, yeah. And then final question, do you prefer short hair Bato or ponytail Bato? Or I guess if you're a little freak, do you prefer long, nasty <laughs> standalone complex Bato uh, ponytail Bato? Um, I feel like I feel gonna, like standalone gonna, complex is my bato. I have to look. I have to look at the side by side comparison here. Yeah. Um. Ah. Uh, I don't know. I kind of. Uh, I kind of prefer. Um, Standalone complex, Bato. Not gonna yeah. lie. Um, 1995 Bato's okay, but I, I, I kind of like. It's not great, but I, I kind of like the, like. There's a certain, um, there's a certain charm to the, the ponytail. I think, to me, like not in that, like it's yeah. actually like looks good, but like. It's the yeah. little bit of like wabi sabi, you know. It's the imperfection <laughs> that, that makes Bato great. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's like, his equivalent of like the the beauty mark on the face, you know. For me, the like 1995 Bato is like 
feels like this is just like still like oh yeah this is just like a commando like super cop guy right he just has a very military look about him and the ponytail is more of like like oh yeah like i'm i'm out of the military now like there's like a like for for me it's so tied in with like the like sensitivity of bato and like yeah the different nuances of his character like instead of just being like this jacked like you know um like flat top like military guy yeah um so yeah, I don't know. Gotta gotta yeah. go with the I gotta be a little freak about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we're just little freaks over here. Um I mean, did did you really expect anything different, Ina? Yeah. Everybody knows I'm a little freak. I've talked about this on this podcast. <laughs> um Yeah, I think uh I, I think I you know certain things are public knowledge at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts? Before uh, I wrap nope. this up, I'm, all right, I'm good. Um, so I'm gonna again, uh, just trusting you that you you put this document together and didn't put yeah. anything weird in here. So uh, looks like next episode we're talking about Ghost in the Shell Three America. What the fuck is that? Yeah, it's you know, it's the next. It's Ghost in the Shell Three. Ghost in the Shell One Point Oh. <laughs> yeah, G- Ghost, Ghost in, in the, the Shell Two Point Oh. With, uh, it's the Netflix series that's currently, they just released it. Have you not seen this? No. Yeah. It's got, um, um, I, uh, I thought that this was a joke. I don't remember who. I thought that this was a joke that we were going to do the 2017 Ghost in the Shell movie, which we will never do on this podcast. Yeah. No. I mean, that's why. So that's the joke is like. I'm just making fun of the fact that we're never going to do that because yeah. it would be horrible if we did, right? Yeah. Uh, we will um, actually be talking about episodes one through six of Ghost in the Shell SAC Second Gig. Which is not set in America. No, no, it's not. No. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll get to Ghost in the Shell. I think I think there is some stuff with America in uh, SAC twenty forty five or whatever, which we will at some point do. I I have said this. I don't know when, mm. but at some point, like you know, anime Janai, we're gonna do all the anime Ghost in the Shell stuff again. Not the twenty seventeen movie that's not anime. But right. we're gonna do all the other ghost ghost in the shell stuff. So because this is ghost divers, like I just feel like we have to, even if we're not gonna like twenty forty five or I think yeah. that's the number. Well, There's diving. so many numbers that are like that twenty forty whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. twenty fifty one. You mean <laughs> yeah. project twenty fifty one? If you want to, there write are a lot in... of twenty numbers to future episodes so um we've been doing some like per episode questions for some of these movies but um 
we will just be going back to the question bucket format. And if you like are listening to these and, and wish that you wrote in for a specific movie, feel free to still write into the, the question bucket about it. We will talk about it when we get to that, but um, we will have a question bucket episode and that's when we will read any quest any questions that uh, came in that we didn't get for this, these recordings um, as well as stuff about second gig and um, solid state society. So uh, any questions there, write them to ghostdiverspot at gmail.com um, and we'll, we'll answer them when we get to the question bucket episode and it'll be a fun time, I'm sure. Uh, we'll see. Maybe I know that like Autumn just likes joining our question bucket episodes because they're the most like they're the, like least prep for an episode you need to do. It's the most us just goofing off. Um, and they have actually been watching the first season of standalone complex. So maybe they, they will have more thoughts and be more familiar with characters to joke around, even as they like probably won't watch second gig. Um, so that might be fun. Um, anyway, go to exportodd.io to support the network. Um, that'll take you to the Patreon. And if you, uh, give to the Patreon, um, or, you know, become a patron, whatever the, the term is that Patreon wants you to use. Um, for $1, you will get episodes early, not of this podcast, but of my other podcast, Ornate Stairwells, um, as well as a number uh, of other shows on the network, um, including Gotham City Limits, the uh, Batman-themed podcast with uh, M and autumn um as well as other ones that have been on a brief hiatus but are coming back soon um i think hot singles is coming up soon again um i'm sure they're they're working on figuring out ars arcanum that's just been the weirdest logistics because basically everybody involved got a new job recently um but yeah look forward to all that go go give a dollar or you can give five dollars and get um pop town funk where uh autumn and nora the the like founders the runners of the podcast or the network um roll a random funko pop and then have to they usually watch something related to it but uh they did do overwatch comics once or nora did and autumn didn't read them um and should be punished for it um <laughs> 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 this comes up on the episode. People can listen to the episode as a specific reference to, to jokes on that episode. Anyway, um, exportodd.io slash ornate stairwells if you want to listen to my other podcast. Um, and uh, you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod on Twitter. You can follow me at FoxMomNia. That's F O X M O M N I A. Where can people follow you, Connor? Uh, y'all can follow me at Rebelays, R A B B L E A I S. And look at that picture of Bato carrying a cross that is definitely going to be uh, the new icon by the time this episode goes up, right? Yep, definitely. Um, I just have to remember my login first. <laughs> and uh, also follow me at mediav underscore pile. That's M-E-D-I-A-M-H underscore P-I-L-E, which is where I um, tweet as like various media that I'm doing, uh, which includes stairwells from movies that I'm watching. Um, I, I tweeted a, a little bit, I think from, um, innocence, I believe, or that may have been on main where I did a joke, but, um, yeah. So, hard and to also if I like am reading a book or something, I'll sometimes tweet about it there too. Anyway, that's it. Um, I'm done here. I'm going to I'm going to go pee and 
go to bed because this- mm, yeah it is before midnight mm. we did all right uh, yeah Im- important bodily functions yeah um yeah all right everyone thanks for stopping by we will uh see you next time yeah bye the shining sea waiting beyond the world that we have known beyond the world that dream could be and the joy we have tasted follow me Along the road that only love can see Rising above the funniest of the night Into the light beyond the tears And all the years we have wasted Turning and turning, turning on.
more jokey jokes. Should we do a time that is clap? Yes. Let's do that. Um, let's do 46. Okay. There we go. All right. I also really have to go to the bathroom, so... Um, yeah, I, we'll can't just... I can't believe I made it through an entire episode without having a single pee break. Yeah. Um, especially since I had to I had to pee when we started recording. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but we, we, we managed we managed to get through. So, uh, all right. Um, all right. Cool. Well, yeah, I'll uh, I'll upload this soon and uh, I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. OK. All right. See ya. Now recording. <laughs> um, do you want to do a time that is clap? Yeah, let's do it at ten oh five. Exactly. Ooh, you know I hate zero zero. I did it though. Okay. Was it? It. It sounded like there was a little like unpreparedness on your well, on your side. You... Not to make accusations or anything, but yeah. It, it was um, a double zero, so I should have known better. You, you, you said you didn't want to do it. Um, it. My thing didn't do the thing that it often does, but, like, if my time dot is is going to hang briefly and, like, not feel like it's actually hitting it at the correct moment, it's always on the zero zeros. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to do another? Sure. Okay. Zero zero is cursed. It's decided. Um, 49. Okay. Um. You still want to do a synopsis, right? For this. Yeah. Okay. Did you just pull one from from Wikipedia? Yeah, I did. Okay, that's fine. I I've been trying that out with. I feel like Ghost in the Shell is just big enough of a franchise that like, um, people seem to like actually do bigger synopses like these are the most in-depth synopses for um individual episodes of an anime that i have found yet because often i'll kind of look at them to remind myself what i'm writing my own synopses um and i was just like well i'm gonna take a break from writing synopses because they take time yeah i can they and then that that allows us to do the bit where we like rip on the synopses which is always fun yeah um Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'm ready uh, whenever you are. Okay. (laughs) This is the stupidest and longest bit we've ever done on the podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, like... Since I didn't actually say hello and welcome to Ghost Divers, I forgot that this is... Like, I am just going to start with that whole bit at the beginning, so we're just in the podcast now. Right. Um, I I thought that I was in post-credit pod section here now 